think one of the big problems that we have as dentists is that our purpose in life is to be the best dentist in the world. Our yes. purpose in life is to be a dentist. That is yes. our problem, and that's why so many of us suffer. Your purpose in life cannot be your profession. Because we have the ground game, we've actually built the practices that people aspire to create. History will prove one of us correct. Wait, 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 you're not letting me finish, bro. This is how you become bulletproof. 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 Well, it's always an amateur hour when you're with me. That's right. Yeah. Same when we're on top of the bull. Yeah. Thank you for helping me up there, by the way. So just, just for the record now, I've been physically assisted onto two plastic animals. You were the first pushing me onto the like six foot tall bull You'll in Texas. You'll remember your first. Yeah. And then the second, which was quite memorable as well, was Peter pushing me onto the rabbit in my parking lot. I have a nine foot tall lavender or fuchsia colored rabbit. Oh and he gosh. pushed me up there, but that was really high. And once I got up, I realized like, oh shit, how do I get down? This is a bad idea. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But you didn't, I didn't get the perspective until I was up there. Kind of like yeah. the bull. Yeah. That was fun at the ACD. It was. It was an awesome time. So today, uh, I guess we're, we've already recorded. So rolling, buddy. Okay. We're rolling. So Are for we, those that, is, yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah. So no, go ahead and ask, ask, cause we haven't really talked about all the different things we want to talk about. Well, I was just going to say, are we talking about summit is that like well you know that's that's a good point summit is right around the corner so by the time this comes out people will have probably about a little less than probably about three weeks to still attend summit and there is a couple tickets left i know you have mm. a super duper promotion so we'll drop that as well yeah. they can actually enroll and get the the early bird pricing so mm. what do you know what your link is off the top of your head if you don't i'll i could find out as well we can put it in the show i can i can find it but okay. Well, no worries. We'll, my head, yeah. we'll put it in the show notes as well. But yeah, that's coming right on the corner. I'm excited to see you there. But today is really more about just the audience, irrespective of their summit attendance to understand all the things that you've been up to, because it's been a minute since we've had you on here, regrettably yes. too long, because I'd love I love everything you're doing. And your messages has evolved so nicely. I just, I just want to reintroduce you guys to to Dr. Kyle Stanley, because you're awesome. So anywhere we want to go, we can obviously talk Pearl AI, but I also yep. want to talk about the other stuff you're doing as well. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So with that, let's go to Pearl AI first. You know, I, I always knew it was a great thing and I was always interested in what you're doing, but there was a, a whole different level of respect and admiration for you when I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, the All In Podcast, and I heard David Sachs mentioned it. I'm like, oh, damn. All right. <laughs> this shit got big on me real quick. So, so tell, yeah. tell me from startup and the date and how it's going and everything in between, please. Yeah. So we started this concept in 2015. And it's interesting because one of my co-founders had a previous AI company, not focused on dentistry, but, you know, multi-billion dollar company. And he came to me during a hygiene check and we started talking and he said, you know, I have this AI company and we're, we're thinking about expanding to healthcare. And my dad was a dentist. He said, I said, oh, my dad's a dentist. And so he said, you know, would you want to help me? And I said, well, I don't really know anything about AI at the time, but you know, I know a good amount about dentistry. And so we started this back in 2015 and we incubated it within his previous company and then spun it out and did its own round of financing led by David Sachs in 2019. So we've been working on this now for, you know, eight years or something. And That's awesome. Just because I'm it, a fan, yeah. uh, Kyle, I got to ask you, 
do you have meetings with David Sachs? Yes, we've had. Yeah, I mean, I don't have as many meetings as our, our CEO Ophir does. They're they're yeah. really close, but I'm sorry, yeah, I'm met just David like, multiple like, times. It's like um the 13 year old girl talking, and you you know Taylor Swift here, so like, right, you know, right, just go down this rabbit hole. No, he's such a badass. I really like him a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. tell me, what's how many dental offices are you in at the moment? Yeah, we're and, in and tell us what of it is. practices. I don't know what the actual number is. Over five thousand, something like this. But we're around the world. We're in over a hundred countries. Jeez. So, you know, a lot of it is in a lot of it is in North America. A lot of it is in Europe. But we're in Australia. We're in the Middle East. We're in Brazil. We're in South Africa. Really, all over the world. So what we do is we analyze digital radiographs with the eyes of an expert to assist doctors in diagnosis, but also in building trust with patients to help train team members and to analyze what's happening in their practice at at a higher level you know we can take the in the images in your practice and index them just like how google indexes the internet so we use something called computer vision which allows the computer to see images and understand what's happening so it knows the tooth number it knows if it's, you know, a distal or mesial, it knows if it's carries into enamel or into dentin or into pulp, area of chorioidolucency, calculus, bone loss. I'm sure there's other stuff I'm missing. Marginal discrepancies. Wide in PDLs? So, wide in PDLs, yep. Cool. And from that information, it alerts you and shows the patient. I mean yeah, uh, so you can you can cross-reference what's happening with in the image with what's happening in your practice management system. So let's say, for example, we find carries in an image. We're going to say, we found caries. Now we're going to look in your practice management system and say, is the patient treatment plan for filling inlet only crown extraction? And if they're not, we're going to alert you and just say, hey, take another look next time the patient is in, or if the patient is there that day, take another look. And the doctor ultimately is the final decision, but we're just showing areas of interest and pointing it out so that they can take another look because AI is not perfect. It makes mistakes sometimes. So that's why the... The doctor is so important, you know, because the doctors are say, oh, that's actually just a little artifact. That's a little shadow. That's not caries. Let me check it in the mouth. So it's it's been really powerful, too, that we didn't even we didn't even plan this, but it's been really powerful for building trust and case presentation because, I mean, you know, you show a patient a radiograph and they go like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Right. Like, I'm sure you've had people ask, is that yeah, are toes? Those yeah, are those toes, <laughs> always right? just yeah. to say that. Yeah. Are those toes? Yeah. Why are you yeah. showing me this? <laughs> yeah. And now you can outline it in color and say, you know, you see this purple area, how it's going into the green, that's going into your dentin, that's a spongy That's so cool, by the way. Tooth. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but there's so many failed technologies, and I won't name them because they're currently on the market and I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But there's yeah. been a variety of technologies that have, have helped patients really, not, not that they're diagnostic tools, but they're more geared to show patients like, Hey, look, you got a cavity, like yeah. almost like your doctor recommendation is not enough. Mm -hmm. And they, they correlate to scores and different types of graphics, but having an intuitive user interface that allows the radiograph to make sense to a patient is probably just as powerful in my opinion as the technology itself, you know, to help enroll. Yeah, to... it's been interesting because we built this tool as an assistive diagnostic aid. And we have people that really may only use it for building patient trust and for patient communication. Yeah. And awesome. they're like, oh yeah, that helps me find stuff too. But like, you know, it increases my case acceptance by 30%. Of and course. We didn't even plan that. 
It's funny Isn't how that funny? technology evolves like that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the most stupid you've ever heard, how stupid am I that I don't have this in my practice right now? Because like, you're my good buddy and yeah. I don't have it. <laughs> Just be ten. honest. Like it's a eight. 10. Yeah, it's a 10. <laughs> It's a so if you have a little extra time when we end the recording, can I get, how do I get signed? I'll kidding aside. Yeah. I know that sounds like a plug, but obviously I'm going to be doing this. So yeah. it's just pearlhealthy.com. It's, it's hellopearl.com. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Very cool. So what percentage of your time, your, your days and hours in the week are spent directly on Pearl AI right now? A, a huge percentage, probably. 80 to 90%. Okay. And what percent is in clinical dentistry? Because I know every time we've talked, it's kind of steadily been decreasing. Yeah. It's gone down more and more and more. I'm at my office a few times a month, maybe three times a month, but not all of that is clinical dentistry. Sometimes I'm there uh, training. Sometimes I'm there doing stuff for Pearl. So, you know, I maybe see a patient once or twice a month. Okay. Got it. So it's, it's yeah. more just you know, maintaining the relationships and maybe the street right. cred of wet finger dentistry, but it's not really a, a contributing part to your economics. Correct. Yeah. Do you think you'll Correct. still stay as a wet finger dentist? Do you feel like a, an obligation or a, or a, some sort of driving force to do so? I thought I would, but because you knew me when I was almost full-time dentistry besides lecturing, and I don't think I will. I think I have more opportunity outside of the chair that was always something that bothered me too, was that I could only make money and I could only help one person at a time. That was always felt a little limiting to me. And with, with Pearl or with my lecturing or with my mental health stuff, I can help multiple people. I can help so many more people. And from a financial standpoint, I'm not limited to do this, make this much money. Yeah, the linear exchange. I don't care exactly. who you are. You cannot, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's listening that knows somebody that charges five times the usual and customary for a crown. But beyond that, right. it's hard to create more value. But let me ask mm -hmm. you another question, a little layer deeper. Do you feel, and probably just speaking from my own biases here, do you feel any level of inauthenticity in the idea that you would surrender the dentistry? Does yes. it bother? Yeah, for I do sure. too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, you probably get this too. It's like, you meet someone new at a party and your other friend introduces you, oh yeah, hey, you know, this is Craig, he's a dentist, this is Kyle, he's a dentist. They're like, oh, where do you practice? You tell them, you know, oh great, yeah. I'd love to come see you. And you're like, well, I'm kind of like not really taking <laughs> patients. And you know, it's like I'm a dentist by training now, you know? So yeah, there's definitely it's something that I've wrestled with for many years because even when I was just lecturing one day a week, it that that was hard for me. And then it was like I'm lecturing two days a week, or then I'm doing Pearl one day a week, and then it was two, then three, then four, you know? So it's, yeah, it's something I still struggle with. Yeah, I may always this, struggle with it. Yeah, I'm having something similar too. So like beginning of the year, my office manager, who's, who's a rock star, you'll meet her in Vegas. She's speaking a lot, and she's uh, big in the office management area nationally. But she said to me, like, what's your goals for this year? And I said, you know, I just want to support the practice and support the doctors. She's like, yeah, so what's your production? I'm like, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I don't really need to produce anything. You know, she's mm -hmm. like, well, the chair is very valuable. And from right. that conversation, we're in a meeting like two weeks later, Dr. Craig's retiring from clinical practice. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what? <laughs> that escalated quickly. I was yeah. like, I wasn't really clear about it. But she's like, look, the chair really brought up a lot of stuff for me. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I don't, for me personally, for the next foreseeable period of time, 
I am still going to be practicing clinical dentistry, albeit probably a day a month. But you know, that yeah. dwindles quick, Kyle. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't have a recurring schedule, it phases yeah. out. How do you meet new yeah. patients? Mm -hmm. What are yeah, you going to do? Funny, it's funny that you say that. And it's kind of a good transition to mental health, too. Is exactly. I think one of the big problems that we have as dentists is that our purpose in life is to be the best dentist in the world. Our yes. purpose in life is to be a dentist. That is yes. our problem. And that's why so many of us suffer. Because when you align your purpose in life with something that is bound to fail like dentistry right the crown's going to come off the implant's going to fail the color's going to be off there's going to be an open contact and open margin that our entire self-worth drops with that and this is one of the things i had to learn the hard way and now i really preach it is like your purpose in life needs to be outside of your profession whether you're a dentist whether you're a trash man whether you're you know a professor whether you're whatever your purpose in life cannot be your profession. Interesting. And, That's interesting. I'm going to let you go, but I want to have a lot to say. Please go ahead. Yeah. But in dentistry, it's like really ingrained in us. And I think it's because it takes a lot of time to become a dentist. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of money. And then it's, we're proud of it too. And our friends are proud of it, our family. So we always get introduced. Oh, this is Kyle. He's a dentist. This is my son. He's a dentist. This is my neighbor. He's a dentist. And we, we start to become this this dental robot that I say, that we, we forget that I can love dentistry. I can be passionate about dentistry. I can be good at dentistry. It's what I do. It's not who I am. So dentistry can consume us. And when it consumes us, that's when I've seen problems with myself and with the hundreds of doctors that I've mentored. Yeah, I love what you said. And I remember you saying, this maybe it just in a personal conversation, you know, just for background for the listener, I've had the pleasure of calling you my friend, a personal friend. I have people on this podcast that I don't know personally. I just want to clarify that I've known you personally for a long time. We've had a lot of very good conversations over the years. And I do remember you telling or saying we had a conversation around that dentistry is a very encompassing identity. So like you're not an you know, you're not like a guy in in mergers and acquisitions at a cocktail party, like, oh, I have to ask you a question. Like the minute you right. say you're a dentist, it's can you yeah. look at this? They start opening their mouth at cocktail parties. It's like, yeah. it's a very, you know, and I wonder if it's because we are a fit for every single person, you know, no matter who you are, everyone needs a dentist. If you have teeth, if you don't have teeth, if right. you have a child that's about to get teeth, mm. everyone is our customer. Yeah. So we're relative to everyone, but it's, it is an encompassing identity, but I find it interesting what you just said that you don't believe that your fulfill, what was it? Your purpose should be tied to your profession. That's right. So while I agree with you that you're, you know, listen, micron in dentistry can mean, you know, a micron of opening or a couple mm -hmm. microns of opening in your crown means you're quote unsuccessful. And we yes. all have had that. And I've actually heard statistics. I don't know if they're real or not. So maybe the listener, you could correct them. But the minute you put a crown on a tooth, it's on average, like whatever, 15 years from extraction. That's so the right. minute we touch teeth, we actually screw them up. The best dentistry mm -hmm. is no dentistry, but unfortunately it's unavoidable and we have to intervene. So we get a little bit of that as well. We get caught in that. Well, everything was fine until you had to do this. Well, no, you cracked your tooth on the crouton. Remember that? Right, right. Yeah. So we get, we get kind of conflated with that, but I think that your purpose can't be from the mechanics of the dentistry, but I've made my purpose through dentistry because dentistry in my particular situation, I was blessed. I was a third, you know, third generation dentist and 
I have a lot of legacy patients. And also I was able to use dentistry to, to cultivate these amazing relationships. I mean, I got personal friends that are people that are iconic and, and it was only through dentistry. So right now, if the other day, the patient I came in for last week on Monday was Patrick Bet David. And for those who don't know him, he's an author and he's a wonderful human being, but there's no way I would know him or very unlikely that I would know him if I didn't have a skill that he needed. So I don't know where I'm going with this. So maybe. Well, I think I'd, I'd like to, to take what you just said, though, too, because I agree with you, but I don't think your purpose in life is to be the best dentist in the world, right? When you it break is down absolutely your not. purpose, your purpose in life is to support others, help others, you know, uh, be a guiding light for people, be a mentor. Now, you've done that through dentistry, but I guess the, the nuance, what I would say is like, your, your clinical work, you know, doing the best Invisalign, doing the best smile design, that's not your purpose in life. Correct. And that really 100%. was mine. Yeah. And I agree with you that there's this quote that I wasn't there for, but someone told me that Willie Geller said at, at a big symposium, probably in Switzerland or something, and he said, dentistry is about relationships. And I feel that anytime like I'm with you or I'm with some of our other friends that, you know, are kind of speakers around the world is dentistry is an amazing profession, but it boils down to those relationships. Cause I yes. have those, you know, I have those same patients that I it's, I'm so close with them. We've become friends outside of the practice and that wouldn't have happened without dentistry. So yeah, I just want to get that little nuance that even though you've been able to fulfill your, your purpose in life through dentistry, it's not dentistry that is your purpose. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that nuance because I never, what you had that pressure on your shoulders of you wanted to be like the world's greatest dentist, whatever, yeah. presuming that's summation of what you felt. I never thought that. Mm -hmm. I never thought that. I'm like, I'll be really, really great. I'll be the best yeah. I could be. But I had no mission and my, my worth was never around that. And you standing up on stages all around the world can create a whole other level of feelings of inauthenticity and like, you know, well, lecturing, but I had a crown that had an open margin that failed because that's, that's just right. what happens in dentistry. Mm -hmm. Dentistry is always going to fail. And with my young docs, I see it. I'm like, you know, they're lucky they're here with you because you care and you're good, but they're unlucky that they need dentistry. Yes. And we are not the illness. And I noticed this with doctors. A medical professional will tell you, by the way, when I say doctor, I mean real doctors, no offense. Yes, not, not us, right? Yeah. yeah. A medical doctor will tell you, Mrs. Jones, you have cancer. It's really bad. I'm going to do everything in my power to try to help you. But at the end, it's you and me against the disease. In dentistry, it's Mrs. Jones, you have TMD. I am going to take away your temporomandibular dysfunction. I will do it for you. How can you say that? How can we how can we be so bold to say that we can rid people of their ailments? They need an FMR because they've been eating, you know, pop tarts for breakfast and gummy bears for lunch. And now we're going to come in and do a, a series of crowns and not have this person change the behavior and suddenly these crowns are going to be perform better than than the god-given teeth they had. Dentistry is a very poor substitute for what God makes. And we, mm -hmm. we try to, we have to be 
Like we have to play God again. We have to make teeth better than what they had. Like that's crazy. Yeah. I think I love what you, that example was great too, because one of the things that I talk about in my, my light side courses that are around mental wellness is setting true expectations. I think we get in trouble because we don't set true expectations because we're afraid that the patient won't say yes. Yeah. And so there's, there's two different concepts with this. One is around this idea of revisions. And whenever I talk about revisions, everyone's like, what is a revision? This is a medical term, right? So let's say you and me, we're playing tennis and I break my ankle, okay? We go to the doctor and he or she fixes my ankle and afterwards I'm still limping a little bit. I don't come back to them and say, oh, you have to redo it for free. Or I don't threaten them and sue them and say, you know, you got to, I'm going to sue you because I'm still limping. No, they say, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Stanley, but uh, we have to do a revision surgery. It's going to be another $72,000 and, you know, two, two nights stay in the hospital. And this idea of revisions is what I want to bring to dentistry. It's like <clears throat> the implant fails or the crown gets an open contact over years. We have to do a revision and the patient pays for it again. And setting that expectation at the beginning, not setting it when the revision needs to happen, but setting it at the beginning that I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. It may fall off when you, before you get to the elevator or, you know, it may last 20 years. We'll see. But at some point, we're probably going to need to redo this, having that in our consent forms and more than in our consent forms, because they don't read that, is talking us, the doctor, talking to the patient. I think so much we try to delegate, which we should from a business standpoint, but the patients don't listen to our team members as much as they listen to us. If I sit down and I say, listen, Mrs. Jones, I'm placing this implant. Implants are very successful, but you know, four or 5% of them fail. That may be you. And if that happens, guess what? You have to pay for it again. Absolutely. And I got in trouble with this because I was very much a people pleaser with my patients and tell them, oh yeah, they're great. They're amazing. And the call is different. So let's say that same example, the implant fails, right? And I didn't say anything. The patient calls, I paid so much money for this. Dr. Stanley doesn't know what he's talking about. And you got to redo this again. I need my money back. Okay. Then your staff is pissed off. They're like, oh no, Sarah's coming in. And it... But what if the same thing happens, but the patient calls and says, hey, my implant is wiggly. Dr. Stanley said this may happen. Can you guys see me? Look, it's the same result. Yeah. But think if of you, how if... much less stress is there for yeah. your team and you and the patient. But by the way, it's not the patient's fault. You know, if, if explained before, it is just a great explanation. If explained yeah. after, it's an excuse. You For and sure. I would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, the broken ankle, a patient knows that they broke their ankle. They can't yes. walk at all. Unfortunately, with dentistry, most of the problems are asymptomatic. By the mm -hmm. time it's symptomatic, it's not a crown. Right. It's not just a filling. You know, when yeah. you feel your dental pain, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. You know, a cavity shouldn't hurt until it's at the nerve. So yeah. we have a force at work where we have to convince people of the ailment. You didn't have to convince right. the broken ankle. He's limping. Yeah, that brings in. it back to Pearl, right? It's like to, <laughs> right. to have them accept go the fact that you want to break, that you want to fix their ankle. You have to show them on a radiograph with right. colors and polygons. And, and also yeah. timeline. Remember that thing you chose not to appoint for? It was green or whatever. Yeah. That's right. I don't have an intimate knowledge of the mm -hmm. product. I'm sure you can compare progress with Pearl. Yeah. And the other thing too, if we, if we keep going with this ankle analogy is the doctor can tell me, 
You can't walk, you can't run, you have to sit, you can't drive, you can't do anything. But we can't tell our patients, no swallowing, no drinking, no eating, no kissing, no talking, no, no grinding. I know you don't do that. I know you, yeah. I know you don't grind and someone else yeah. just whittled your teeth down. You're only 24 and you have like 20% of your tooth gone. Yep. It's, it's a very difficult profession in that way. People don't understand, number one, they, they don't understand the health of their teeth. We don't know, you know, like we always say, like I tell patients, like, you know, my gums bleed. Well, if you rubbed your eye and it started bleeding, you would run <laughs> to, to the ophthalmologist, but yeah. yet we find it normal that your teeth should bleed. So number right. one, we can't gauge the health of our teeth. Number two, probably more unfortunately, is that we can't gauge the quality of the care we're getting. So there's, mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's bad dentists out there. And what do I mean by that? People who don't care or are money motivated. There's bad of everything, by the way. Sure. Any profession, but, there's bad. But of it does make it more difficult for us because then they feel like they can't trust it. And I think patients mm -hmm. view dentistry like they view carpentry. If you mm -hmm. build a dresser or a set of drawers for them and it breaks after three years, it's the carpenter's fault. Yeah. So there's like this non-ownership. And, and one last thing before I kind of close that, that thought is that's why I loved Invisalign so much, by the way, Kyle, because when, when a veneer breaks, even after 12 years or 15 years, your veneer broke, you know, the veneer you right. did, you know, like, it's not mine. It's in your mouth. Yeah. It's, yeah <laughs> but it is yours. Yeah, yeah. I use my fork to break uh, your veneer. Right. I did on the fork. So anyway, with Invisalign, what I used to do, and I said, listen, if you wear it all the time, as in 24 seven, it'll work and I'll stand behind it. If you don't, I'll know you're not wearing it. So don't lie okay. to me. And number two, if you don't wear your retainer, you're going to pay again. Mm -hmm. So ask me how I know I've had to do clear aligners on myself like two or three times myself. And yeah. I'm just, I'm yeah. poor compliance. I'm so on my what, third ortho right now. So yeah. So case in point. So the, the great thing, like your people that were calling, and this is a great tip for those that are listening, when they'd come in, they'd say, hey, doc, you're going to kill me. I'm paying again. I haven't mm -hmm. worn the retainer you bought me in three years. Literally, it doesn't even fit. And they know. Yeah. So just that little bit, if there's only and think one of how that changes the stress in the practice, right? Now, your front office team or treatment coordinator isn't trying to have to convince them. You're not having convinced them. They're like, yeah, this is how much it is. I know. Yeah, you told them. Mm -hmm. And even if you had, even if there was another detail to it, hey, by the way, four to six percent of implants fail. If it fails due to, you know, you know, whatever reasons in your physiology or your, you know, the reasons why it didn't integrate to you, there would be a charge. But just Mrs. Jones, it's not the full 2,500. We redo things for just the lab cost. And that's, mm -hmm. I don't know, 30, 40%, something. Right. Yes. Just letting them know that it's, we'll stand behind it and you, you'll only have to pay a portion of it. Wonderful. Yeah. So I have a concept that I teach called the triangle of blame that really has helped me over the years. I used to think that it was a line of blame, meaning I was on one side of the line. The patient was on the other side of the line. Okay. It was either my this. fault or the patient's fault. Then I changed it to a triangle. And that triangle is me, the patient, and other factors that I can't control and the patient can't control. And so it's important for us to understand this, not only to give ourselves grace if something happens, that it's not always your fault, but for the patient to understand this as well. So I can say, I place this implant, you know, from what I can see today, I did the best that I could. I think it's 90, 95% of what I could do. Now, the rest is up to you and these other factors. So you have to not chew on that side for six weeks. You have to whatever, whatever. But even if I do everything right, even if the patient does everything right, there's biology and physics and diet and genetics. I mean, 
They and may just also, be pre- people get sick. People yes. get sick. Does anything change? Oh, well, nothing changed. Oh, well, I have diabetes. Right. Yeah, I mean, nothing major changed, but, you know, yeah. I have, you know, insulin-dependent diabetes now. Yeah. Adult-onset diabetes. Yeah. And so there's all these other factors that we can't control. And the patient should know about those before we get started. So I guess it really comes down to us, the dentist. We're not doing a good job at this. <laughs> yes. You know, we're not taking, we're not, we're not laying out the rules of the game. Yeah. So the patients aren't difficult that, you know, I mean, obviously there are certain patients who are difficult, Yeah. But, but let's face it. If no one had this conversation with me, I was a lay person. I could see myself getting really upset. You For didn't sure. tell me, you didn't tell I'm me the this. same way. I'm the same way. But you know, when I go to, I'm a car guy, as you know, so if I go to my mechanic and he says, yeah, I'm going to fix this. It's going to work forever. It's going to be perfect. Then if it breaks, I'm going to be pissed off. But if he says, you know, I'm going to try this. I don't know if this is the problem. Let's try this first. It's kind of minimally invasive. It's not that expensive. And I had this happen recently where there was a car that I was working on. And he said, I think it's going to be the bushings on the transmission. It's like 800 bucks. Let's try that. We did Great that. Place to start. Didn't work. Okay. And then he said, well, he told me before, he said, I'm going to try the bushings. If that's not it, we may have to do a full transmission rebuild. That's about 6,000. So I was already prepared. He did try. He said, that wasn't it. I'm still having the problem. We need to rebuild the transmission. But I was prepared. You know, if he hadn't told me what the potential could be. And that's the other thing that I see too with us is that we don't tell them the future. Let's say we finish a full mouth rehab. Say, Great, we finished it. They paid. Everything's good. But we don't say, I need to see you every three months. And if I, if I do see when there's a problem, this is how much it's going to cost. Taking into account that I may raise my fees a certain percentage every five years. Or, and giving them that real life data on what could happen. Because like you said, then the patient comes in and goes, ah, you know what? You told me that I was supposed to... I'm sorry, I went traveling for six weeks. I'm back now, but this chipped, you know, I know you wanted me to see you. For... I lost my night card. And think of how much yeah. better of a response that is. They're owning their disease. The team and you are less stressed. The patient is happier. It's just yeah. all around. Dentistry can be a, such a great profession, but it really can be very, very stressful. And, and I think the fulcrum to that point is your communication. There's a very famous exactly. quote is the quality of your life depends on the quality of your communication. And really what you're doing is you're not looking out for the patient. You're actually selfishly looking out for yourself. You're looking out for yourself yeah. because if you tell people that the best dentistry is no dentistry, you know, God makes the best teeth, the, the, the combination of flexibility and flexural strength and the porcelains that I'm going to use are the wonderful, the best in the world, you know, with the new technology. They're not as good as your own teeth. Yes. And the reason why you got to this point, Mrs. Jones, is because you're A, B, and C. And if we don't correct that and I do all this work on you, it's going to be in your hand prematurely. Yes. And you're going to be super mad at me. And yeah. I don't want that. Boom. Shifts yep. everything over. I yeah. wish they'd teach that. Are you doing this training, this triangle? Where where, where do people go to learn about the triangle of blame? Because that's freaking brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, so that's in my LightSide Academy. So it's just lightsidedentistry.com. There's a free masterclass they can walk, watch there that, that mentions the triangle of blame as well and goes a little bit deeper into it. So, yeah, but yeah, you're so then, entrenched in dentistry, yeah. though, in organized dentistry. Is there an opportunity for you to get this into schools? That's that's my goal. My goal is to have this 
be in dental schools to where they learn about mental wellness, mental resilience in dental school. But then I'd also love to have it as a requirement. You know, like in California, I don't know what it is in Florida. California, we have to do 50 CE credits every two years. What do you guys have to do? Um, Less than that. Less than that. Okay. So we have to do 50 every two years. Like I want one, one credit to be about mental resilience. That's it. That yeah, would be I think a mental big resilience is, uh, is, is, you know, I think the mental health is a byproduct of not having correct training. So yeah. obviously there's, there's the mental health component. We're going to get to that in a moment, but we are set up by virtue of the lack of training, like the, just the triangle of blame and the understanding of these concepts. And they're one hour. We, I mean, this, we've only been maybe talking about it for 15, 20 minutes. That would shift the trajectory of a person's career and their mental health. So we're, we're sending these boys and girls out and I call them that cause I'm, you know, old now with no <laughs> training, no training whatsoever, yes. Kyle, they literally get turned out, no business training, no yeah. leadership training, no patient yeah. dialogue training. Yes. Holy smokes. And, and then we scratch our head like, no wonder why we're doing so shitty in dentistry. And the other thing that happens too, is they get out of school and they spend the first seven years trying to learn more clinical. Yes. So they say, oh, I don't know implants yet. I got to learn implants. I don't know smile design yet. I got to learn smile design. I don't know biomedic dentistry. I got to learn biomedic dentistry. And to some point, yeah, of course you do have to increase your, your clinical ability. But the people that really excel are the ones that focus on everything you talked about. I want to learn how to run a business. I want to learn how to build trust with patients and explain things well. I want to learn how to do interdisciplinary dentistry. You know, there's, there's clinical aspects as well. But the people that take their clinical dentistry and also add on mental and relational health are the ones that have sustainable success in dentistry. Because you and I know, we've known a lot of people that have had success in dentistry. Not a lot of people have sustainable success in dentistry, doing it for 20 years, 30 years, and not being divorced, you know, breaking up with their business partner, going through a mental breakdown. I mean, that's, that's difficult. Yeah, it is. Uh, just, just hope this lands on the listener. I was very proud to be invited to the AACD because um, it shows that even organizations like that are like, okay. You cannot get through on a diet of 99% clinical CE. You need a well-rounded nutritional balance of CE. And yeah. I love what you said that people run to the clinical when they get out, the five-minute molarendo, the 10-minute that, mm -hmm. the, you know, because what they do is they equate the dollar that can be generated from this CE. So I'll yeah. go through this three-day continuum. From that continuum, I'll be able to place, you know, single implants, guided posterior implants, the course cost me X thousands of dollars. Implants go for X. Okay, I'll pay it back in this amount of mm -hmm. time. What's the ROI on your ability to communicate your mental health and your practice? They, they don't, they can't do that. And unfortunately, not everything that counts can be counted. And that's mm -hmm. why people are not running to the Light Side Academy or, you know, mm -hmm. shameless plug through Bulletproof because you'll see what we create there is this whole vibe and this culture culture, but this space, if you will, that you're describing a space of, we don't have it all figured out. Dentistry is really hard. There's camaraderie and we need more of that. Everybody's just posturing, unfortunately. And then what's social media doesn't help. What's interesting about that too, is when you start to master 
your mental health, your relational health, communication. It doesn't just help you in your in your business. It doesn't just help you in dentistry. You start being a better spouse. You start being a better parent. You start being a better neighbor, a community member. And it makes you more successful outside of the practice as well. Yeah, I love the idea that you just said master it because I, I feel that you might never master it. I think uh, depending on what's going on in your life, you know. Definitely I, I changes. Yeah, and I mm -hmm. love the quote by Naval Ravikant. He says, don't take yourself too seriously. You're just an ape with a plan. You know, you, <laughs> you just we're a reactive emotional species. And, you know, I know that you're better than you've ever been, Kyle, because I know yeah. you're a guy who values growth and progress and your relationships are the better that they've ever been, but you're not done. And, mm -hmm. and I know well enough, not that I can speak to anything personally in your life, but you have massive struggles. You have sleepless mm -hmm. nights, you suffer in other ways. And I, I just want the listener to know that everyone suffers and everyone goes through it. And I think that the breakdowns you've had, and I'd, I'd love to hear your point on this, are the very reason why you're in a better place today. In other words, what 100%. I'm saying, I'm saying if I could have waved a magic wand, because you're my friend and I love you, if I could wave a magic wand and take it all away, I wouldn't do it to you. I wouldn't have mm -hmm. taken any of it away from you. No. And it's hard to it's hard to hear that if you're going through it, if you're in the middle of it. But once you're on the other side, wow, you realize, thank God I went through that. You know, I mean, even when I think back to the first time I was ever depressed was really after a relationship broke up, like with a girlfriend. And to think now, like, thank God that broke up, you know, thank God I went through that because I found my wife, I have my kids, I have the life that I have now. And that was how I felt with dentistry too. When I was going through it, it was, it was the worst thing ever. But it's allowed me to come out on the other side, allowed me to mentor others, help others, but also look internally. I realized I had a problem. And I think unless you realize you have a problem, you can't identify the triggers, you can't find your purpose, you can't learn, you know, research-backed ways of how to change your mindset and, and how to change your daily habits. And then you'll never elevate above where you were. So what was that problem and when was it, Kyle? When? For what, me, it was 2018. What year was Okay, so I, I knew you. You know, yeah. we met we met before that. Yep, we met in 2017, I think. Okay, mm -hmm. so what what's going on that makes you, you okay to talk about it? We don't... Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to tell you my story. It was February of 2018. Okay. It was, it was literally a dark and stormy night, which is very rare in California. So I remember smelling the asphalt. And I was getting home late. I was working late almost all the time those days. And I, I got home and the deadbolt was on so I couldn't get into my house. My wife opened the door and I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Now, in, in hindsight, I should have said, I can't do dentistry anymore because she's like, what do you mean you can't do this anymore? Us, marriage, kid, like, you know, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, oh dentistry. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't do dentistry anymore. And... On the outside, everything looked great for me. You know, I was, I had nice cars, I was making good money, I had the celebrity practice in Beverly Hills, I'm traveling all over the world, teaching on the top podiums, writing research, I had the best mentors. But inside, I was going through a lot of difficulty. I had patient complications, I had team challenges, I was going through litigation with patients, with, with team members. I had the desires that I wanted to have more time with my family. I wanted to have less stress, better physical health. 
I wanted to be less reactive. I wanted to not think about dentistry when I was at home. And so I finally had to say, enough is enough. I had to make my mental, physical, and relational health a priority. I always use the example of, you know, because I fly a lot, putting on my own oxygen mask first. I think as dentists, we are caregivers. We take care of others, take care of our family, our team, our patients. And sometimes we have to be a little selfish and say, you know, I need to put myself first. And so putting this off for way too long, I knew something needed to change. So I went on this journey. And, I, you know, this topic of mental health, you're very passionate about it as well. But most of us dentists, we're scientists. We think this stuff is real fluffy and woo-woo and kind of bullshit. And it's funny, when you go to the research, and I'm a research nerd, so I went like to PubMed. Why do I feel like this? How can I get better? There is so much research behind this, and it really spoke to me. So I started studying positive psychology, psychology of overachievers, personal success habits. I sat under you know, some really big teachers in the space, and I had this breakthrough. And my breakthrough journey was finding my purpose outside of dentistry. I had increased health. I had, uh, you know, honesty, confidence with talking with my patients. And I remember taking a day off. And I know that sounds crazy to many of the dentists listening, but I actually took a day off of work. I was doing, I think I was going to the post office or something. And I was outside, beautiful, sunny day in California. The sun was shining on me. It felt warm. And I finally said, like, I'm really getting better. I'm finally getting better. And it was at that point, my success took off. Meaning, Interesting. So, sorry to cut you. How yeah. long from you know, low point February 2018 to the sunny day? Mm -hmm. What was that? How long? It was about six months. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It was about six months, which was, which is way too long, which is why I want well, not necessarily. To do it in 30 days. You know, I want people to do it in 30 days to, to feel better in 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. I think so I that started, I started to feel better. And that was when, you know, it's funny, that was when like Pearl started taking off. That was when my, my practice started taking off. That was when my lecturing started taking off. That was when I started working on Lightside Academy and mentoring other people and talking about this. And so it's funny how I had this revelation that I was focusing so much on clinical dentistry, but really the revelation was once I mastered my mental, my relational health, I could really have sustainable success in dentistry. It's very frequent. Thanks for sharing that. But it's very frequent. And I hear this from so many different people that when you, when you're, when you change your state, you know, and you're in a depressive, anxious, self-focused state, and I'm not saying that in a, just that's how we could label it. It was really examining yourself. And when people change their states, whether that's through the work that you did, or maybe they take some chips off the table and sell a portion mm -hmm. of practice or resolve something, mm -hmm. everything magically goes into place. And I had a guy on here not long ago, uh, Paul Etchinson, who sold off to a DSO. And he said, everything changed after that. And I said, well, what did the organization do for you? He says, well, actually nothing. They didn't really do anything for me. It's just, I wasn't a panic animal every day. Mm -hmm. I wasn't always worried about everything. And you know, most organizations fail or succeed on the psychology of the leader alone. Sometimes yeah. people don't even have skills. They just have this passionate way of charging forward that people go around. But, but I love the concept that you said of like, I call it like how long you allowed yourself to suffer. Mm -hmm. You said six months is what you took. You mm -hmm. think that's way too long. And I think that's a great distinction for the listener because things that were going to happen, you're not done, Kyle, because you're going to live a long life and you're going to have yeah. other 
episodes and gonna kick your ass. So you know, I, sh I should specify six months was after I decided enough was enough. Right. I think you have to stay in your shitty diaper for a while. It was probably a year and a half before that where I started to have symptoms. So yeah, man. I yeah, you got to eat like a lot that. of you got to eat a lot of crap sandwiches, and then finally, yeah. like, it's enough is enough. And that's like another mm -hmm. thing. It's like to change doesn't take a long time, but the decision to get to a point where is enough enough is enough is enough. Right. And so yeah, I appreciate that. Funny enough, while you were telling your story about February 18, my lowest point was like maybe six months later. <laughs> I was going up, you were coming down. Yeah, so I got just, you know, everything kind of circled in at once. And, you know, the mind is, is a great slave, but a terrible master. And when the things are going down, like if you're listening to this and there's three or four or five or 10 things that are all happening at once, patients pissed off, employee drama, you know, sick child, you know, how yes. much shit can you handle? Mm -hmm. And at that moment, you have to just control your mind. You cannot take things that are at step three and complete them to step 10. So this bad Google review is going to turn into, you know, another one. And the next thing I know, I'm going to lose my practice. We, we mm -hmm. suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. That's and right. if you allow your mind to go dark places, you will just go for a fucking ride. That's going to be terrible for you. And uh, that's what happened with my personal thing. And I talked about it on the podcast, but with the breaking point for me is, and this is something that Tony's wife, Sage, helped me with a lot. She was, uh, you know, at the time she was having a lot of dental problems. So I was seeing her frequently, like this recurring dental thing that was going on. Mm -hmm. So it was really fortuitous that, you know, dentistry mm -hmm. brought her into my life. I got yeah. to see her frequently. The best part is I was repairing something that, that another dentist did. So I got to uh, like wear the to take the high road on everything. Nevertheless, uh, what happened was this, uh, so there's suffering and there's inappropriate suffering. So, you mm. know, you're six months, 30 days. So we dwell often too long in that suffering state. And what she did for me is she said, and again, I love this concept because people will do more for others than they'll do for their own selves. So she so pointed true. out to me, who is who are you taking down through your suffering? Like who is, who are you, who do you need to apologize to is the actual word she said. And I realized at that moment it was to my family because I'd come home and my kids, you know, they were young at the time and hey, daddy's home. And I, they could feel it. And they would say to me, daddy, something is wrong. What's wrong? Mm -hmm. And of course I'm like, no, nothing. Cause most men suffer, you know, live lives of quiet desperation. We're like, no, we're, I'm great. And you put on that smile, but you can't fake it. And the, the moment that it broke was I took, I was taking my daughter in a daddy daughter date night. I get a call and it's from the attorney who's representing me in this lawsuit that was really contentious and upsetting. It was all over complete bullshit. It was just a, mm -hmm. a shakedown and it wound up getting dismissed. But nevertheless, the lawyer calls and I'm on a daddy daughter date night. I bought flowers for my daughter and I pick up the <laughs> phone. I'm like, Wayne, I'm really sorry. I just can't talk right now. He's like, Craig, I need to talk to you five minutes talk to him for like two minutes. I'm like, Wayne, I gotta go. I gotta, okay, okay, I gotta go. And I hang up and my daughter looks at me. She's probably five, nine years old at the time, eight years mm -hmm. old. And she starts crying and I'll get emotional. So sorry, we might have to edit this part out. But anyway, she's like, it's, and she named the person that was suing me. She's like, this is blah, blah, blah's fault, isn't it? And at that moment, I'm like, I realized I let this go too far. And it was me that did it. It wasn't this outside force because outside forces will always bump up against us. It is us that allows them. We swallow the poison. Mm -hmm. The poison's going to be put into your hand, but you don't have to eat it. And that's mm -hmm. what I do with my family. And at that moment, 
I came home the next day and apologized to all of them. And it was a beautiful sentiment. So for those, I want to bring some action to it. For those that are dealing with something really heavy right now, remember, it's not as bad as you probably think it is. You're going to take it further than it belongs to go. And also other people are suffering because of that. So use the leverage of not wanting to do this to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, to your team and fix it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I related so much to that. Just the other day, my wife brought up a patient's name that I hadn't thought about for a long time. And she remembered because I talked about it for so much. I tortured her through this, through this entire process as well. And she's, she's a great listener. So it, it was nice to, to hear it. But I was like, it made me realize exactly what you said. Like, I'm putting my entire family through all of this. And these people, you know, these outside forces are controlling me. I need to be the one that lives between the stimulus and the response, right? Yes. And live in that space first. Yeah. Take five seconds and say, how am I going to react to this? I'm pissed yes. off about this, but I have a choice on how I can react to this. And that's and the emotion, the non-emotional working on that. Right. And that that's the power. That's the superpower of humanity. The, the ability to control the reaction between stimulus and response. It's the only thing that separates us from the beasts. Yep. And the non-emotional response is always the best response. You know how many tweets I write, emails I write that are emotional? Like I'm a big believer in like divine intervention, God, whatever, synchronicity. And it's just amazing how many times I am shown not to not to be emotional. Just pause, pause on that stimulus. That's yeah, awesome. we have a rule. We have a rule in Lightside Academy that you never write back an email or respond to a bad review or a text from a patient the same day. You always take at least one night, one sleeping period before you respond. Yeah, and we say comes, the same thing. That comes from me doing something very, doing yeah. very bad things. You know, just like yeah. jamming my fingers into the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, been there. Yeah, and also too, you don't want to engage with another emotional person. So when mm. they write it and they cool off, you'll have, I mean, you know, and also remember just the tactical takeaway when, when you're writing the response to the patient, you're not writing to that patient, you're responding to the hopefully thousands of people that will ultimately read that review as well. Right. Response. Mm. I'm so sorry you feel though, Mrs. Jones, we'd yeah. love to have the opportunity to make it right. Please contact right. her office. And if mm. she then goes in and says, well, F you, Dr. Stanley, you would look great. That's yeah. right. Her credibility. So tell me a little bit more about LightSide. I'm genuinely really just curious. I, I, you know, I see it from afar, but is it, are there physical meetings? I mean, what is, what's the, the process? Yeah. So currently there's, there's three ways to get involved with LightSide. One is what most people do, which is our online course. So there's recorded videos with a workbook. And then we also have a private Facebook group where people interact and I'm on there and, and whatnot. We also do Lightside Live a few times a year, and I do this with Martin Mendelssohn, who is on faculty at Spear. He has his degree in happiness studies. He's a dentist that was actually disabled, went through a really difficult time. I mean, he's a fantastic speaker, amazing motivator. So that's a two-day course that we do, and we're doing one in December in Milwaukee, if anyone's interested. And then there's also my private- I'm sorry, uh, did you say Dece December in Milwaukee? Isn't that where everyone wants to go in December? Can I just ask you a simple question? Why? Why? Why December Milwaukee? Well, we were invited by, by a Spear Study Club out there. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So tell me, what, a de what is a degree in happiness? What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, he just has 
Martin has gone so far. He's really pushed into like studying and finding. Uh, I don't even know if I can explain it. He's an amazing facilitator of people and being a dentist, being a dentist who was disabled, went through a lot of difficulty and has now had a successful career in non-clinical dentistry because his hand actually stopped working basically. So he, he physically couldn't practice. You know, you and I have the choice, right? If we wanted to go and practice tomorrow, we could. He didn't have that choice that all of a sudden taken away from you. And so he went down and, and really spent time learning how to be a coach, learning how happiness works, how we can be happy, how we can have less stress in our practice and our life. And now he does a lot of team building. So it's really, really interesting. I'd love to introduce him to you actually. Oh, I'd love to meet him. I'd yeah. love to meet him. Yeah. I have an interesting take on that. So what, what is, what is your, so we established the fact that you would not trade, maybe I established the fact that I wanted to make sure I heard it correctly from you. You would not trade any of those, those, those moments of suffering, all the, yes. the history have that mm -hmm. correct. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes. you, in some ways, I guess, needed to have that to precipitate where you are. Do you agree with that? Could you have, For sure. do you think for the listener, do you think they have to go through this? I think there has to be some form of suffering because happiness is a relative term. I think it's, it's a comparative term in my opinion. Yeah. You don't know happiness unless you know suffering. And that's why I was hoping you'd say that because that's where my mind was going because then it implies a duality when you seek happiness mm -hmm. you're seeking something so that means it has to be the opposite it's i i i'm a believer of like the stoics and like naval ravikant for for example he has this concept that you can't actually seek happiness you can only seek peace mm -hmm. and when mm -hmm. you're at peace not thinking about tomorrow or yesterday or the lawsuit or whatever happiness kind of slips in as a byproduct that's right but i i think a lot of people seek happiness, which is a problem, I think, in and mm -hmm. of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You shouldn't really you think, sure. are you happy right now? Right. Are, I don't know. I mean, I, I am happy right now talking to you, but the mm. reasons why I'm happy are not for happiness it, itself. Yeah. You know, but it's yeah. an interesting. With, and with all of my mentoring other doctors and doing my courses and whatnot, I'm trying to shorten, like I said, I'm trying to shorten the period of suffering so they can learn from my mistakes instead of learning fully from their mistakes, right? It's just like how we learn with clinical dentistry, right? I get someone like Christian Coachman or Joseph Kahn or, you know, any of these amazing clinicians that say, listen, I tried it like this and I made a lot of mistakes and that was why I do it like this. And so I say, okay, I'm not going to try it the first way. I'm just going to do it the second way that he or she told me how to do it. And it's been able to work. I think what's, what's important is that they've realized they have a problem. And it's I think you need to go, yeah, you need to go through some shit to get to the point where like, okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, it's like what we're talking about before with my story is that I had that year and a half before of, okay, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. I'm ignoring it. I'm ignoring it. I'm ignoring it. I'm saying this is normal, whatever. And then I make the decision. I realize I have the problem and now I'm going to do something about it. It's just like when you think of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or, Narcotics Anonymous, I think one of the first steps is admitting you have a problem. Yeah. The sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. I say that. Yeah. Very interesting. Really cool stuff. I mean, I'd love to get involved with that. I mean, that's what lights me up. And at Bulletproof Summits, we've had people, you know, multiple, over multiple years that came up. One story 
was a man that was in the audience and his wife came up to me uh, and she was shattered. She was like very emotionally upset, you know, visibly disturbed. And then she started talking. She started crying about her husband that's up in the room mm-hmm. and it brought up some emotional stuff for him. And he's lost. He doesn't know where he's at and doesn't know what to do. And the weird thing is, Kyle, and I'm sure you're like this. There's a lot of things that I'll, I won't feel qualified to do. Like I would not jump in on dental procedures that I've never done before, but I have this weird thing in me that I'm like, I'll go up to his hotel room and I'll talk to him. <laughs> and like, and I just walked up there and it just doesn't bother me to be in, you know, with someone that's extremely in a, in a vulnerable position. Like I don't feel like I see myself in those people because I've been the same in the same situation and worked through with him. And he actually joined the mastermind. He's kicking ass. But one of the hacks we used right then and there, and this is a great hack, is when you're focused on yourself and you're in a really dark place, the way to, at least in my experience, one of the greatest ways to get through it is to look externally and whatever you're seeking to get, just give it. So the easy way, being that we're connected to every single person in our contact list, is start randomly reaching out to people and letting them know why you appreciate or love or feel something for them. And just that act alone, we've actually done that at summits before, where we like mm-hmm. to actually tell, pull out your phone and blah, blah, blah. And it's just wild how quickly that can fix things. So it shows that like when you're internally focused and you're really just feeling bad for yourself, and there's probably sometimes really good reasons to feel bad for yourself. If you want to break it, look outside and give away whatever you seek to get. And I think mm-hmm. that's just a powerful thing to do. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the tenets of, what we teach is something called the dream sequence, which is like daily habits. So diet, relationships, exercise, appreciation, meditation, and sleep. And appreciation is really all about gratitude. So yeah. uh, that's one of the tenants. Well, in keeping with that theme and the tenant of what you're doing, I'm really grateful for you. I know that was uh, probably a lot for the listeners to hear, but really, really grateful for you. The last time we hung out, I was leaving. Um, we were just like, literally you were flying into ACD at the exact time I was flying out. I was even looking at your flight to see if we could just like hug and get high a coffee. Five in the, high five in the airport. Yeah. Yeah. And my flight gets canceled. I come back and what an awesome, crazy night we had. It was super fun and just so grateful that you're there for the listeners. Cause this is a real problem in dentistry and regardless of how much you, how big you get and how many voices how many lives you can change or how big this voice gets, there's still going to be a lot of people that are left. And I'm just happy that you're there for as a, as a, as a net for these people and mm-hmm. a way to prevent it. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And appreciate let's also your, talk your friendship with... and your success or your um, support. I mean, thank you. My success can help you too. I got yeah, you a sweet yeah, yeah. win. So let's sure. talk about the, <laughs> let's talk about the Bulletproof Summit. So uh, first of all, I'm super honored that you'd come. And uh, what is, what are you going to be speaking about? Do you, is it more of the same stuff that we're doing now? Are you going deeper in one way or another? Yeah, I'm talking, my title is the mentally resilient dentist. So really focusing, I mean, the, the, I would say framework of this topic is I go over the three biggest mistakes that dentists make in their career. And around that, we will talk about the triangle of blame and we'll talk about a lot of my other concepts that have really been able to help hundreds of doctors from over 50 countries get to a better place and really have sustainable success, both mentally and, you know, monetarily too. It's funny how we, I had one of my, one of our lightsiders from Romania 
that took the course two years ago. And I saw him at IDS, ran into each other. He came by the Pearl booth and he said, when I, ever since I took your course, it's been two years, he said, I've doubled my production. My practice has doubled. I've doubled the size of it. I'm happier than ever. And you would think like doubling your practice, getting more staff and more patients and more building and all this stuff, you'd be more stressed out. And he said, I'm less stressed out than I've ever been. I see that so commonly. When one domain of your life isn't working, it the fire spreads to others. Mm-hmm. Just like the fire of success, it's just the same That's thing. Right. It's not, it's happily achieving and not just achieving to be happy. It's not like yeah. if this, then that. Like you just get yes. to a point like, And that's the, I mean, right now at this particular moment, I know life is fragile, but right now I feel that way. You know, I extended, I'm meant to be on vacation with my family and I extended my trip. I mean, uh, postponed my trip rather to be here in the office, you know? So I think the first step is knowing exactly what you want and, and spending that time. Cause I think in the Bulletproof pathway, we, we meet people and they tell us what they want, but they never really thought much about what they really wanted. Yes. You know, like if you would have done that early in your career, like I want to be the world's best or whatever, mm-hmm. and we would really, if I would have met you or you would have met yourself, you mm-hmm. know, as a coach when you were, when you were younger, you would have been able to that, you would have seen yes. the writing on the wall of your unhappiness, future unhappiness rather. So I think it's so important. Like, you know, there's so many voices in dentistry telling you, this is what you should do. Three mm-hmm. offices, five offices, sell dentist, is yeah. CEO trapped in the op, whatever you want to call it. And the narrative is strong and pervasive and there's people jumping around on stages that tell you exactly what you should do. I'll never do that with somebody. Yeah. You know, this is a, you know, one ticket, you know, all you got is one ticket. You got to do exactly what you want and what Kyle wants versus Dr. Jones versus what Craig wants are very mm-hmm. different and there's room right. for all of it. There's so much opportunity in dentistry. It's such a great profession. And I think the problem that I had was I thought every dentist that gets out of dental school works clinically, owns a single practice, and does that for 40 years, because that's what my dad did. And that's what my dad did. I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know all these other opportunities. I didn't know there were tech companies, or there were, you know, you can work for state boards, or you can do, like, I didn't know any of this. There's so much opportunity in dentistry. It's crazy how, how much you can shift your trajectory, like your life right now versus 2017, mm-hmm. five, six years ago, totally different mindset. different, too. yeah. Yeah. And that's what's available to everyone. They can shift gears. They act, they can really do it. Yeah. And and, I mean, if they're trapped in a practice that they built and they don't love the opportunities to sell and transfer that or change it, there's so much available education. You and I didn't have education that was available, like on a podcast. We never had that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a great time, but listen, I want to be respectful of your time and also want to leave the listeners who are attending summit, something to look forward to. I am so fired up that you're coming to Bulletproof. I'm so thankful that you said yes. It's going to be an awesome time and it's right around the corner. So um, yeah, a few weeks away. Yeah. Uh, we'll put in the show notes, the Dr. Kyle Stanley code, because cool. it does reduce it. It's not too late. Send your team because one of the big things is we have a whole team approach, but the content by and large is, is, directed towards the entire team. And there's a way to educate them and get them aligned so that on Monday morning, it's not just going to waste away. Inspiration is perishable. If you don't act on it like quickly, it goes completely away. So uh, bring your team if you have. I highly recommend bringing your team. Any of the courses that I've taken where I've brought my team, so nice and for the speaker to teach them instead of me trying to regurgitate what I learned. Yeah, 
lose your horsepower because you can't get it all back out. And then by no. Wednesday, you're like, screw it. You know, yeah. we'll just keep doing it the same way we've done it. But anyway, I appreciate you being here today. Like, give me the links to your it's hello pearl hellopearl.com yep and lightsidedentistry.com lightside dentistry i would yeah. love to get involved with lightside dentistry if there's ever an opportunity for me to tag along or add value or just be an attendee i would absolutely love that well, let's talk in vegas yeah we will just maybe not minneapolis december though <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a, you and i love sunshine yeah i'm solar powered yeah. for sure same. Anyway, Kyle, appreciate you being here. I appreciate, as always, all that you do for dentistry. And hopefully everyone here has a chance to talk with you at the summit in August in Vegas. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy.